All right, so you know that thing where you're like searching and searching and searching for your source, and it's like right there in front of you the whole time? So it is in Minicote is where you uh, look up the Omer. And what I want to do right now is before I go to Minicote, I want to go and really just look up the meaning of Minicote. Uh, Minicote is the tractate of Talmud that is about meal offerings. So it says, yeah, it belongs to the fifth order of the Talmud because, you know, there are six orders of Talmud. So the Talmud breaks down into six categories. And then the fifth of those six categories has to do with meal offerings. And they're called Kodshim, which is holy things. And they discuss in Menachot the various grain-based offerings. So I should have known <laughs> that the, the Omer drop would be in Menachot because that's where the grain offerings are. Anyway... And last word as we get into Minicote, and it's specifically in 65A, that's the daf we will begin with, the page, that uh, the offering of the Omer is connected to the Sota because she has to bring her Omer as a part of that ritual. The Sota is the woman suspected of adultery. Thing is, is that we are considered adulterous women until we convert. Because when we go through Pesach and everything like that, we become like born again, new and all that kind of stuff. And we leave life of adultery and all that. Because if we haven't been on track and up to par with Hashem, Pesach is like the most appropriate reset ever because that's where the whole world gets the opportunity to enter into being born again. Which is why Mashiach was offered during Chag Hamatzot. Literally, well, he was offered really on Pesach because 14th and Nisan into the Seder. That's what that's all about. But yeah, uh, Pesach is the beginning of Chag Hamatzot. So that's the whole chance that this represents. So anyway, the, the Sota has this Omer that she brings. And, you know, here we are counting the Omer. So we're removing ourselves from being suspected of adultery. And if we have been adulterous, we're removing ourselves from adultery. Continued connections to Ephesians chapter 4 about how we have to take off the old and put on the new. Lay aside the old corrupt life. When the woman was caught in adultery before Mashiach, they brought her and she said, I don't. Or Mashiach said, I don't condemn you, you know, so go and sin no more. Yeah, you were were caught red-handed. They set you up. But yeah, um, as far as the Sota offering goes, that offering's been discontinued because Israel is so adulterous that we don't have the authority to do a Sota ritual today. That's what Yeshua was letting her know. If you read the commentary... From Parashat Naso, you'll see that Second Temple era, the Sota was discontinued because that's how low we fell as a nation. 
And then you have the whole thing. Yeshua said, you know what? I don't condemn you. Go live as a new creation. I'm your Pesach. I will pass over you now. So why don't you go ahead and pass over all this sin and be be born again? Because that's how easy it is. Anyway. County Neomer, Minico 65A. Bring it down. Says, how would they perform the rite of the harvest of the Omer? Emissaries. Shliakim, basically. Apostles. Of the court would emerge on the eve of the festival of Pesach. Okay, so 14th and Nisan, they're showing up. It says they would fashion stalks of barley into sheaves while the stalks were still attached to the ground. Okay, so remember that one time Yeshua was like bound up and whatnot? That's exactly what they were doing to the Homer. Goodness. You got standing grain in the field, which again takes us back to Yosef, who says, you know, my grain was standing and we were all binding sheaves. My sheaf stood up and yours fell down before me. All that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's all Omer talk. Okay. So anyway, sheaves bound up. That's what they did on the 14th of Nisan. Shiach was bound up on the 14th of Nisan. He was to be arisen, brought forth from the earth like you're going to do to this Omer on the 16th. So three days ahead of time, you already know this Omer is about to get brought forth from the earth. But first, it's got to be bound. Yeah, that's right. That's what Minico 65A in the Mishnah is saying. Goodness. Okay. Maybe that's not doing nothing for you, but that's doing something for me because the whole thing is we have to understand Everything, the the end of something is already known at its conception. Like, that's just how Hashem rolls. It's like, let me go ahead and let you know up front how this is all going to go down. So that when it goes down, just remember what I told you. Mashiach said the same thing to his Talmudim. Did he not? Did he not? I said, did he not? Tell his Talmudim. Listen, gentlemen, need to let you know. 14th and Nissan's coming up, i.e. Pesach. Son of man, it's going to be handed over. That's me. Handed over, that means I'm going to be sold or people are going to take possession of me. But that's okay. That's cool. It's part of the plan. Wish that wouldn't have to happen. But, you know, I asked Hashem, pass this cup for me. And, and then I say, you know what? Not my will, but your will be done because I'm a servant of Hashem. That's how I roll. But anyway, uh, I'm supposed to do this. So, you know, this is going to happen to me. Be handed over, and I'm going to be killed. I'm going to die. I know that's kind of weird because it's like, how can Hashem die? But, you know, just, we don't have time to talk about that right now. I just need to let you know some facts because this is all getting ready to go down. So here's the deal. I'm going to be dead. I'll be away for three days, and then I'll be right back. I'll be right back. And it, the text says that, that this was hard for them to hear, so they were not willing to receive it. And so what happens? We go through Pesach. Shiach dies. He's buried. He comes back on the 16th of Nisan, just like he said he was going to. 
Not to mention that while he was being bound up and put on the stake, they were doing the same thing to the barley in the field, binding him up in the sheaves. Hmm. Only for the 16th of Nisan for them to be brought forth from the earth. Yeshua was brought forth from the earth on the 16th of Nisan. He shows up to the time of the demon like, oh my gosh, what is this? Are you a ghost? It's like, Shalom Aleichem or Hakamatot Sameach. Hello? <laughs> is this thing on? Kind of thing. And it's just like, guys, I told you this was going to happen. But don't you love how Hashem always is like, I never, he never goes, I told you so. Can't believe you didn't listen to me. He just says, hey, I'm here now. May we all be like that because there are certain times we can try to prep and prep and prep and prep and prep and be like, okay, this is the plan. All right, plan executed. Boom. Then it happens and we're like, what? I can't believe it worked out like that. And it's like, was it not already communicated? So case in point, we're counting this Omer knowing that it's going to end in Shavuot. The, what happened on Shavuot? Hashem appeared, lightning flashes, shofar blasts, speaking to us, and all this kind of stuff. We're gathered at the mountain. Da, 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 da. He said he was going to bring us here to this point. So when Shavuot happens, at the end of County Omer, we should not be surprised. This is already set up. So anyway, that's already shown here. Minicote 65A, that you're going to bind up this barley in the sheaves while it's still attached to the ground, like while it's still alive, and then you're going to resurrect it from the earth. You're going to pull it forth from the earth. Now, I know the uh, semantics of that is like, well, if you pull the grain from the earth, then you're going to cause it to die because you're not going to consume and partake of it. Well, did we not have to consume and partake of Mashiach when he was brought forth from the earth? I don't know. I could be crazy and just stretching things out of proportion, but I just can't help but think the whole thing about brings forth the bread from the earth and resurrection and all that being embodied in the process of counting the Omer, which starts on the 14th of Nisan with preparing it to be counted on the 16th, which is a three-day period. You have the 14th, which counts as a day. Then you have the 15th, which counts as a full day. And then the 16th, which will be the third day, and that's the day you're supposed to be raised up. Anyway, continuing on, it says... So that it would be convenient to reap them. So you bind it up in the sheaves. So that way, when the 16th of Nisan comes and it's time to count the Omer, it's already bound up and ready to go. It's prepackaged. Boom. The residents of all the towns adjacent to the site of the harvest would assemble like the Avengers. They would assemble there so that it would be harvested with great fanfare. There's a great fanfare. It's like, let's go count this Omer couple of things that that makes me think about is this why no one was at the tomb when the stone was rolled away which would be like pulling up that sheaf you know pulling Mashiach out of the tomb the stone was rolled away so that the brick come forth from the earth but it was like well nobody was at his tomb because people were over here where the Omer was getting reaped 
So, something to think about. Anyway, because Mashiach would have been resurrected during this time of pulling forth this first Omer and counting it. So I just love the fact that you stand when you count the Omer halakhically. And standing is tantamount to resurrection. This is why we stand for the Amidah. And then after the Amidah, we fall in order to stand back up, which is the whole putting down your head prayer, which we don't say that during the month of Nisan. So there is no death during the month of Nisan kind of thing. So that's interesting. So may that be true in all of our lives. May there be no death during the month of Nisan. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, bring forth the power of the resurrection exerted in the whole entire globe right now. Right now. Please. In the merit of Mashiach Yeshua, may it be so. Let the resurrection begin. That's what I used to say. Um, and I'm going to bring that back. It's just kind of crazy to think about resurrection with so many people dying of COVID-19 currently and to think about our family and loved ones who've passed away like we're going to see them again. Wow. <laughs> Maybe soon. All right. So continuing, it says once it grew dark. The court emissary says to those assembled, did the sun set? So the court emissary, the, the shliach of the court, says, did the sun set? And the assembly says in response, yes. So there's this call and response going on. Oh, assembled people, did the sun set? And everybody's like, yes, it did. This is why we count the Omer at nightfall, because the sun has to set first. Then it says, the emissary repeats, did the sun set? They again say, yes. Is this not striking uh, resemblance to Mashiach questioning Kepha? Do you love me? Kepha says, yes. Mashiach Yeshua says, do you love me? Kepha says, yes. They did that with the Omer. Anyway. This is one of the things that makes me think about as we're taking off the old, putting on the new, we have to ask ourselves, are we new? The answer should be yes. The next night of counting the Omer, are we new? The answer is yes. Next night of counting the Omer, are we new? Yes. We have 49 days of saying yes to the power of, of the redemption and resurrection that was exerted within us during Chag Hamatzot. Are we changing? Are we renewing the universe? And remember the seven days of the week of Matzah. That is the seven days of creation. So we have an opportunity to recreate the whole universe for seven days. What are we going to do with that? My source? Cephas Hamez. Yeah, on Pesach. Anyway, so ask yourself, are you new? Are you transformed? Have you been born again? Is the matzah taking effect into who we are? Are we eating the mitzvah? Are we speaking the mitzvah? You know, Amen, Yehoshamay, Rabbah. Amen, may his great name be blessed. You know, like, are we speaking that? Okay. Anyway, so we question ourselves. And we question ourselves, and we question ourselves. The Pesach RPM podcast, I asked, 
or I said that um, the whole thing about eternal life is that it's new, it's new, and 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 it's new. We see it in our current condition as, okay, here comes another Shakarit. I did this yesterday. Okay, here comes another Minka. I did this yesterday. Here comes another Shabbat. Oh, look, I did this last week, you know. And we think, oh, the same stuff over and over again. But it's like, no, this is supposed to be a new moment in time for for us. This is a new Shabbat that I've never done before. This is a new Shakarit that I've never done before. And if you get more and more adjusted to doing everything new and new and new and new, it's not repetitive anymore. It's literally a new day, a new moment, a new mitzvah every single time. That's what it takes. That's the renewal that the Omer is bringing us into. Because every night we think we're counting the same Omer and it's like, Little do we know, we're not. Each Omer is very, very different. But you're counting the Omer, but it's different. It's the same, but different. That's 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 where that applies. Many times we say that little common saying, it's the same, you know, but different. It's like, what does that even mean? That's the Omer. That's Shakarit. That's Minka. That's Ma'arif. That's Bedtime Shema. That's today if you'll hear his voice. So, continue to question yourself and may your answer always be yes. Because this is the other thing, again, I brought this up in the drosh that uh, trips us up, is that we think, oh, we go through this big holiday or holy day and uh, we come out of it and then it's like, it feels like the bottom has dropped out. We're so tired. We're so uh, discouraged and all this kind of stuff. And then it's like something happens to you that makes you just question your whole faith. And you're just like, oh, I thought I was more spiritual than I was. And it's like, no, it's time for you to make good on what you proclaimed and what you experienced. Did you just experience Pesach or did you like, did you Pesach? You know, there's a big difference between believing and walking the path to quote Morpheus. Because you know everybody told Neo he wasn't the one. At least the oracle told him that he wasn't. And uh, one of his fellow ship members told him he wasn't. You know, because like he was just like, no, this guy can't be the one. Da, 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 da. Well, Trinity and Morpheus, they believed he was the one. And he, he was like, well, I'm not. I was told I wasn't. And the, and the crazy thing about this is that he was, and the only way he was the one was because he walked the path of the one. And the only way, again, I tell us, if we're Jewish, if we're new, if we're born again, if we've laid aside the old and, and put on the new, there's a difference between believing that and walking that. And that's where the, that's where the rubber meets the proverbial road. And that's where the Omer count, that's what the Omer count is all about. So, Court Emissary next says, Shall I reap the sheaves with this sickle? The assembly says in response, yes. The emissary repeats, with this sickle? The assembly says, yes. The court emissary then says to those assembled, shall I place the gathered sheaves in this basket? The assembly says, 
Yes. The emissary repeats, in this basket? The assembly says, yes. You know, it kind of feels like it goes against the grain of our humanity sometimes, where it's like, if I have to repeat myself one more time, I will come over there and just drop kick you right in your collarbone. But if you look at this, this is a great fanfare of repetition. You're like, how many times are they going to ask this question? How many times are the people going to say yes? Only twice? Okay, Brugashim. And it's like, but what if they ask a third time or a sixth time or an eighth time? Would that be okay with you? And so this is where I love uh, one of the sources Shavile Pincus brought down. I call him Shonuf Pincus. He was talking about when uh, Yaakov and Asav were re-meeting after the whole episode of Levon, uh, Laban. And Asav had 400 men with him. And there was a whole drop about 400, uh, what is it? 400 Kesufim, the 400 levels of yearning. And uh, this was connected to all the different meanings of 400. And one of the things is that unless you've heard a source quoted 400 times, you are not allowed to say, oh, yeah, I heard that before. I don't want to hear it again. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. It's like, no, it should be brand new to you for 400 times. Because number one, you need to be able to quote the source verbatim. Number two, what, what is the source exactly? You know, and again, until you've heard it 400 times, you're not allowed to say you don't want to hear it. I mean, you can say you don't want to hear it, but as far as thinking you're better than the person who quotes it. Which is why I love, or which is why when you think you're better than the person who quotes it, that's not something that's uh, permissible. You shouldn't be like that. I mean, you, you can choose to be like that, but I'm just saying it's really inappropriate. So, yeah. But anyway, I was going to go on to say that when people uh, are brand new to, to Shul or Lapid and they come in and they start reading certain things, reading certain sources, one of the things I want to shout out, Kola, which is our Avenger Storm, she has this whole thing where she learned that she should learn the Hebrew letters and that that's, that is higher than the Zohar. She was like, what? Don't go out and get a Zohar. Go out and get the Hebrew of the go. Go out and get the wisdom of the Hebrew letters. And I'm like, yes. If you know what all the letters mean, that's higher than learning from the Zohar. And she was just like, what? I don't remember where I read that from, but that is a true statement. So um, if I need to source it out, Hashem helped me to do so. But yeah, I remember reading about studying the letters that that's probably the highest thing that you can learn hence why wisdom of the hebrew letters is a book to get and this sefer otiot is another book to get then you can learn the gematrias you can learn the letters inside the letters and all that kind of stuff it's ridiculous so anyway so kola when she got to the letter vav she's like oh my goodness i met i have to share with you and i go okay and I know she was going to share the broken Vav, which is from Parsha Pinkus, which is all about the covenant of peace, covenant of shalom that is everlasting. So I knew she was going to go into that. And she did. She read it all verbatim from the Vav. And I was like, yes. <laughs> and she gave me this look like, 
you probably know this already. And I'm like, it doesn't matter. I haven't heard it 400 times. So anyway, but yeah, that's going to happen in level. Somebody else is going to come up to me and I pray that they do and share the broken vibe drop with me. I cannot wait to hear it again. So anyway, um, that's the whole thing about our eternal life and our being new and just the the beauty the beauty it brings of affirmation to our fellow brothers and sisters who are engaging in Torah and studying like i don't care how much of source man i feel like i am like i want to hear it and we should all want to hear each other share sources that we've always heard before don't feel put out because oh i don't know more than so and so and i don't know more than this like Put stuff together, get your sources, share it. And the people who are listening to you, myself included, our mission and our goal should be to affirm you in that and to say, yes, that is true. Thank you for sharing. I love that. I'm so glad you found that. Like, be encouraging. This is what counting the Omer is all about. Stuff like this. Getting down to the nitty gritty. Mm, getting down all in the feels. Getting all in the uh, the proverbial irritations and frustrations and the arrogance and all that kind of self-righteousness stuff. Like, deal with that kind of stuff. That's what this is about. And how beautiful Hashem has put us in isolation so that we can. Mm. One of the greatest things that we can do with this time of Sefirat Omer, the counting of the Omer, is pay attention to what's behind what's causing you to react or respond certain ways in situations. Somebody does something and gets on your nerves. Why is this getting on my nerves? Where does that come from? Why is that even there? That's not a part of my new self. That's a part of my old self. That's a corrupt file. That gets laid aside. You know, identify things down to the gritty like that. 49 days of doing that, I guarantee you something is going to happen. Anyway, so shall I put the sheaves in the basket? They say yes, that happens twice. Goes on to say if the 16th and Eastern occurs on a Shabbat, the court emissary says to the assembled, Shall I cut the sheaves on this Shabbat? The assembly says in response, yes. The emissary repeats on this Shabbat. The assembly says, yes. The court emissary says to those assembled, shall I cut the sheaves? And they say to him in response, cut. Which side note, there's no cutting on Shabbat. And we're talking about cutting on Shabbat. That's why you got to study the sources, man. People go, yeah, you know, you're breaking the 39 holocaust on Shabbat. And it's like, side note, they're called 40 minus 1. But we digress. Uh, What about the Omer getting cut on the Shabbat? We count the Omer on the 16th of Nisan. If the 16th of Nisan falls on a Shabbat, so we're cutting. And there's a thing that this is done publicly. So, like, how do you feel about that? It's like, oh, well, that's different. Oh, well, then let's talk about the rest of this. Anyway, you don't have to be so abrasive, I guess. But uh, anyway, that's just the point to bring out. There's cutting on Shabbat going on here. 
The emissary of Pete shall I cut the sheaves. And they say to him, cut. The emissary asks three times with regard to each and every matter. Is it any coincidence, which it's not, because coincidence is not a Hebrew word, that Yeshua asked Kepha three times if he loves him? This is the whole thing. Yeshua's counting the Omer. Ugh. Whatever day of Omer that was when Yeshua was questioning Kepha, how amazing is that? It was during the first seven days, so it was during the Sephirah of Chesed. What if it was the seventh of the seventh day, which would be Chesed of Chesed? I mean, that would just be so ultimate. This whole thing about love of love, kindness of kindness. I mean, I don't know. But any one of those days would be incredible. So because each each week is that certain uh, Sephira. And within that seven, within that Sephira, there are seven of the other Sephiras in it. So you have the Chesed, Gevura. Uh, let me go ahead over here. Go ahead over here. Okay. My notes. Sephirot of Omer. Break that thing down. Mm, I had a little chart here. See where it is. Chesed of Chesed. Nope, that's not it. Okay. Uh, I went through all these things. Just my Omer count. There it is. Say our Braca. Okay. So first night, Chesed of Chesed. Um. Maybe it's better if I go to my app here. Okay, so yeah, so day one is Chesed of Chesed. Day two is Gavura of Chesed. Day three is Teferit. All right, and so we haven't got to the rest of them yet. Oh, I was thinking of Malkut, yes. So the seventh day is Malkut, which is everything is included in that. So if it was... The seventh day of counting the Omer, which the first day is the 16th, second day, 17th, 18th, 19th, 20th, 21, 22. So the 22nd day of Nisan, which would be the day after the final day of Pesach, uh, the week of Matzot, after uh, Acheron Shel Pesach, and then Havdalah, you're into now the, the Malkut of the Chesed. So that would have been a cool thing if on that day, Mashiach, you know, did the the triple questioning of Kepha, just because that would summarize the whole thing about Chesed. It would bring in all aspects of Chesed, Gevura, Teferit, Netzach, Hod, Yesod, Malkut, like it would bring in all those seven, all the emotional makeup of mankind wrapped up into one and complete that whole thing. But even if he didn't, at some point during his resurrection period, it was during the counting of the Omer and Mashiach was hitting Kepha with the questions like the emissary of the court. 
hits the crowd with the questions in each and every matter, and he does it three times. Goes on to say, the Mishnah asks, why do I need those involved to publicize each stage of the right to that extent? The Mishnah answers, it is due to the Bothusians, or Bothesians, some ways they're said, as they denied the validity of the oral Torah. There is no harvest of the Omer at the conclusion of the first festival day of Pesach, unless it occurs on the conclusion of a Shabbat. The publicity was to underscore that the 16th of Nisan was the proper time for the Omer harvest. So these three questions happening on the 16th of Nisan, whether or not it was on a Sunday, a first day of the week, was to make people who don't agree with the oral law understand that that is the only way to know how to count the Omer. The oral law is legit and all that. The oral law, not the oral law. The oral law is not legit. Like, don't have an oral law. Don't have a, a don't be un, don't be uncircumcised and wait three years to eat from the fruit of the tree. Like, give it three years and then the fourth year, bring it to the, the holy city and then the fifth year, have fun. Anyway, because I realize I'm trying to say oral law which I should just say Torah Shebeal Pei. Anyway, that's what OT should mean, the oral Torah, not Old Testament. Anyway, uh, I hesitate to put that on my notes sometimes. I'm like, oh yeah, it says in the OT in Masechid Sanhedrin 98A, and it's like, oh, they think I'm saying Old Testament. Never mind. Anyway, the publicity was to underscore that the 16th of Nisan was the proper time for counting the Omer. So anyway, that's a few things that happened when the Omer was counted. That was great fanfare in all this. And now you've heard Rebbe Griffin Ben Ellis, Rabbi Griffin Ben Ellis, said it's in Josephus about the 16th of Nisan. Well, we already read some Mishnah about the 16th of Nisan. Uh, I dropped a source on the Aliyah Day. Uh, comment thread about the Omer uh, being counted on the 16th of Nisan. Now we're going to go ahead and source out that Josephus, shall we? This is from Jewish Antiquities, book three, chapter 11. Going down in uh, section 250, it says, but on the second day of the festival of unleavened bread, the, on the second day of unleavened bread, First day of unleavened bread is the 15th of Nisan. Second day of unleavened bread is the 16th of Nisan. But if you read the source, it says, but on the second day of unleavened bread, which is the 16th day of the month. Josephus just let us know right there. Second day of unleavened bread is the 16th day of the month. Goes on to say, they first eat of the fruits of, of the earth for before that day they do not touch them remember the barley that grew out of the earth we had it prepared and this was a fresh harvest 
Everything about the Omer is about being fresh. It, it just showed up. The gathering was back during Sukkot. And then we started, you know, replanting the fields and everything. We go throughout the winter and then we get into Tuba Shabbat, you know, and we're praying Hashem will bring forth a new harvest. And then somewhere in the first half of Nisan, the earth gives forth its produce. The fruit of the earth was also called grain, which is the whole thing about why the the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil Many people get caught up on the whole, was it an apple? Was it a pomegranate? It's like, well, it could have been bread. It could have been. I'm just saying, I wouldn't have been tripping over an apple. But if it was a hollow loaf hanging from a tree, I mean, I would have failed. I would have failed so hard. Because, I mean, how are you going to turn down hollow? I mean, seriously. But anyway, I digress. I don't need to put myself in, <laughs> in a category of like, hey, let's bring sin and death and sickness and horribleness into the world. All because of a piece of holla. It's like, well, I actually I would ate the whole loaf. Sir, stop incriminating yourself. That's enough. <laughs> anyway, self-control. Boy, do we need it. Mainly me. Okay, anyway. Hashem help us. All right, so... Before that day, they do not touch them. The crazy thing about that drop and why I swerved over into it from Josephus, book three, chapter 11 here, is because we were, we could have ate that hollow loaf, because I'm going to go ahead and call it a hollow loaf, even though I know it wasn't, it was probably something else. But one of the sources does say that it was grain, not just that it was an etrog or grapes or all that. It was a whole bunch of other options on the table but we could have ate from that tree had we waited one hour so could you not wait one hour adam and then we can have this tree and it's like no you're gonna go ahead and let the serpent talk you into eating from the tree anyway so we ate from the tree we could have only waited for an hour and here we are with the omer it's like if you wait to the 16th of nissan then okay we can go ahead and eat it now, says they did not touch the fruits of the earth from before that day. Next statement. And while they suppose it proper to honor God from whom they obtained this plentiful provision in the first verse or in the first place they offer. It says. And while they suppose it proper to honor God from whom they obtained this plentiful provision in the first place, they offer the first fruits of their barley. And in that manner or in the manner following, they take a handful of the ears and dry them, then beat them small and separate the barley from the bran, like separate the wheat from the chaff. They then bring one tenth of it to the altar to God and casting one handful of it upon the fire. They leave the rest for the use of the priest. So this is like a uh, like one of the offerings where you put part of it on the fire and then the other half you give to the priest. Just read about this in Parsha Vaikra and Parsha Zav fellowship offering 
it uh, goes on to say that um, they leave the rest for the use of the priests. And after that, after this, it is that they may publicly or privately reap their harvest. They also, at this participation of the first fruits of the earth, sacrifice a lamb as a burnt offering to God. A whole burnt offering goes up. So that's all ridiculous. Just to throw in this other sentence, it says, when a week of the weeks has passed over after this sacrifice, which contains 40 and nine days on the 50th day, which is Pentecost, but it's called by the Hebrews Asarta, which signifies Pentecost, they bring to God a loaf made of wheat flour of two-tenth omers or ephahs with leaven. And for the corbinot, for the sacrifices, they bring two lambs. And when they have only presented them to God, they are made ready for supper for the priests nor is it permitted to leave anything of them until the day following. So there's a whole thing that goes on there that connects Omer to Shabbat and the completion of the renewal that takes place. So there's that. The other thing I wanted to read about here was, um, it was Menachot 67. Minico 67b. So, Minico 67b. Making my way downtown, walking fast. Got my space and I'm homebound. Okay, anyway, I'm sorry for saying that. Anyway, all right. Part of my old self need to lay it aside. Okay. Once the Omer was sacrificed, people would emerge and find the marketplace of Jerusalem full of the flour from the parched grain of the new crop that was permitted by the waving and the sacrifice of the Omer offering. That filling of the marketplace with the new crop was performed not with the approval of the sages. This is the statement of Rabbi Meir. Rabbi Yehuda says, they would do so with the approval of the sages. Oh, we have a dispute. Rabbi Meir was like, this is not approved. And Rabbi Yehuda was like, well, yes, it is. The Gemara on this says, the Mishnah teaches that the marketplace of Jerusalem would be filled with flour and parched grain even before the sacrificing of the Omer offering. Rabbi Yehuda holds the sages approved of this practice. The Gemara asks, doesn't Rabbi Yehuda agree that the sages issued a decree against filling of the marketplaces with grain that is prohibited in consumption at that time? Wasn't he concerned that perhaps someone might come to eat from it? And the Gemara raises a contradiction from Mishnah Pesachim 10b. Rabbi Yehuda says that one searches for chametz on the evening of the 14th of Nisan. And on the 14th in the morning, 
and at the time of the eradication of Hametz. And the rabbis say, that is not the halakha. Rather, if one did not search on the evening of the 14th, he should search on the 14th during the day. And if he did not search on the 14th, he should search during Pesach. Since Rabbi Yehuda does not allow a search on Pesach itself, he evidently he is evidently concerned that one who finds prohibited food might come to eat it. The same reasoning should apply in the case of the new crop. Rabbi Yehuda or Rabbah says that the prohibition of new grain is different for the following reason. Since before Omer, you permitted one to harvest the crop only by picking it by hand and not in a typical manner. He will remember the prohibition and refrain from eating it. So it's like, well, they won't they won't eat this stuff because you can't harvest it and you have to pick it in a non-typical manner. So it's okay to have it out there. The people are not going to eat from it because they're going to have to do weird stuff to get it, basically, for lack of a better term. So that's where that was going. But just as a side note to see some uh, disputes in Talmud and how those are dealt with, I think is really cool. Because sometimes we get so caught up in like, oh, so-and-so is right and that person is wrong and this person is right, that person is wrong. What What if I'm not right? And it's like, well, what if you are? What if you are? What if the way you do your Arab Shabbat is completely appropriate? but yet it's completely different from from the way somebody else does Arab Shabbat. You know, it's just something to think about there. But the reason I wanted to bring up Minicote 67B was because I love the fact that the Omer uh, is sifted, it's beaten, you know, and Shaul talks about how you have to buffet your body, you have to beat your body into submission. Because when you're being made new, when you're uh, manifesting out being this Omer, you it, you have to beat yourself down. You have to like, no, I am not a person of debauchery. No, I am not a rebellious son. You know, and you, I had to talk to myself the other day. I was like, no, we don't do that. That was, that was my PJ days. I don't do that anymore. My body's like, yes, we do, because we want to. And you're like, no, we don't. And again, you have to speak it out. Your mouth is your weapon. You have to say it. You have to speak the mitzvah. You're like, I walk in Torah. What does the Torah say about this? It's like, okay. So anyway, you do. You have to speak it out. And that's a part of this whole process of the Omer. Uh... Let's see, I don't think I read this part from Minicote 67b. It says in the Mishnah, after daybreak, the priest sacrificing the Omer came to the sifted tent of an ephah placed in the vessel in his hand, some of its log of oil and placed its frankincense on the side of the vessel. Then he poured some more oil from the log onto the high quality flour mixed them together, waved, and brought the meal offering to the corner of the altar and removed the handful 
and burned it on the altar and the rest of the meal offering was eaten by the priests. See how these like fried cake looking things from the Omer. And this was a wave offering. So when we talk about the blessing of counting the Omer, we talk about the wave offering before Hashem. Well, there you go. It's waved before Hashem. Part of it's burned up and the other part is partaken of. Kind of evokes the thought of the half shekel, you know, like. What's the other half of who we are? It's Mashiach. You know, we're not whole until we combine our tin with a Shem's tin because a actual shekel is two tins put together. And where do we see two tins put together? The letter Aleph. We have the Yod on top, the Yod on bottom. Connect those two together and you get the Aleph, which speaks of a Shem. The higher tin with the lower tin, Hashem's tin with our tin, and there you go, you manifest the olive. And the connection point of those two, the connection point of us to Hashem is the Vav. And we said that the Vav is the oral Torah because it's in six parts. Vav equals six. Vav is the Mashiach. And so Hashem is unified with Mashiach. So Mashiach is in Hashem. Hashem is in Mashiach. And then when we connect ourselves to Mashiach, we're connecting ourselves to Hashem. And that's the Yod on the bottom, connecting with the Vav in the middle, connecting with the Yod on top, the letter Aleph. This is what we do when we count the Omer. We complete the picture of that Aleph. The beautiful opportunity Hashem has given all mankind is that while we're in isolation, count your Omer, connect with Hashem, manifest the Aleph. And I brought down in the Yom Tov Drosh, when you manifest the whole entire world as an Aleph, you've created a landing pad for Hashem to show up for the arrival and bringing of the final redemption. Landing pads are important. And as each Pele brought down, well, they're not important for the Hulk. <laughs> and I was just like, true. That man will jump in the air and just land wherever he wants to, like he doesn't care. And it's just like, that wasn't a spot for landing. He's like, well, do I look like an airplane to you? No, Mr. Hulk, you do not. Thanks for clearing that up. Anyway, that's a little Omer talk. Now we'll complete everything with the help of Hashem by the outright violence of Rache Richards here. So just so you know, he started off with this whole thing because he, he already went ahead and started studying Parashat Shemini like a crazy person. He likes to reach ahead of everybody. Because that's what he does. So in Vayikra 9.22, it says, Aharon raised his hands toward the people and blessed them. That is the first time the the Birkat Kohanim, the priestly blessing, sometimes called the Aaronic blessing. That's the first time that bracha is said. Remember I told you the Torah is out of chronological order. So parts of Vayikra actually go with parts of Bamibar, which go with parts of Exodus. So anyway, now you can see how Parsha Tadzave mixed with Parsha Shemini mixed with Parsha Naso. Like they're all, you put those things together. Anyway, if you read Legends of the Jews, it actually has a beautiful format 
to where it kind of reads everything out uh, in, in a sort of chronological order so that we can see how the building of the Mishkan and establishing of it led to the inauguration offerings, led to the first day of service and all that. Anyway, so the thing is, is that it says that the Kohen Gadol covers, where does he put this at? Yeah, they cover their heads and hands with their prayer shawls when they recite the blessing. A lot of people get tripped up by Corinthians chapter 11, where it's like, don't pray and prophesy with your head covered. Well, you know, that's how the priests bless the whole entire congregation of Israel when they were in the temple at the end of the services every day. And did you know that in Shemot, Exodus 34, 6, Hashem also did that. He covered his face and his hands when he was praying. Mm. He wrapped himself in a tallit. Now, I'm going to go ahead and read this other thing to you. This is Rosh Hashanah 17b. This is something I was just reading because on Shabbat Kol HaMoed, you read uh, some of this section of Shemot for the Torah service. Here's what it says. It says, in the following Pesukim verses, Hashem teaches Moshe his 13 attributes of mercy. Our Pasuk is saying something that we never should that we never would have dared to say on our own. Hashem did not simply teach these attributes to Moshe, but he passed before him, giving Moshe a personal demonstration. So yes, Hashem manifested himself to the point that Moshe could see him, show him his 13 attributes. Because Moshe said, show me your glory. He didn't say, tell me your glory. Hashem was like, my glory is my attributes. So in order to show you my glory, which is me telling you my glory, I have to manifest myself as I tell you what I'm showing you. Here's what it looks like. So it goes on to say, giving Moshe a personal demonstration of how using them in prayer will bring results. Hashem appeared. Yeah. Hashem appeared. Let me see if I can find that in Hebrew. Um, dun, 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 dun. Keshliak Zivur Vehera Lo Le Moshe Seder Tefila Amar Lo. Yeah. Uh, the word Vayera, and I appeared, and Hashem appeared. That thing. And then it says to, Le Mo, to Moshe, which is Le Moshe. Uh, and then Seder Tefillah. So the Sidur, the order of prayer. Okay. Sidur and order of prayer, Hashem appearing. And it says in the commentary, Hashem appeared to Moshe as if he were a Chazan. A Chazan. Okay. That's ridiculous. So he appeared as a Chazan, the leader of the prayer service, wrapped in a tallit, and taught him the 13 attributes. So, 
That uh, that's Rosh Hashanah 17b. So back over here to uh, Stretch Armstrong, he said this. He says that uh, cover our, their heads and hands with their prayer shawls when they recite a blessing. The sages teach blessing descends only on things that are hidden from the eye, the things that the eye doesn't see. For example, a farmer who starts to weigh his grain may pray that his crop will be large. But if he has already weighed it, he may no longer make such a request, since the size of the crop is already revealed to the eye. When the Kohanim cover their hands, they symbolize this idea that the blessing descends only on that which is hidden from the eye. Tamud Babli Baba Medzia 42a Mishnah Barua Shokanaruk 128.98 I asked him what was wrong with him. And then I said, interesting. When you're considering Purim, like hidden miracles that happen at Purim, may we continue to remain hidden in Torah. Whole new meaning to being Zanut. Hashtag cover up. He goes on to say, Rashi says, Aaron first performed the Birkat Kohanim in Shemini. And then he says, the priestly blessing is the oldest piece of artifact ever found dating back 3,700 years. Guess where it was found? Watch this video. That's <laughs> okay. Then he goes on to say, Yeshua did the Birkat Kohanim, the priestly blessing, Luke 24, 50. Shaboom. He led them outside of the city as far as Beit Hini, which is Bethany, normally called, and it says, and he lifted his hands and blessed them. Goodness gracious. Goes on to say, I know the hands from the Hebrew letter Sheen, formed the Hebrew letter Sheen, for Shaddai, but wasn't there some deeper meanings that the hand spelled out? I forget what that was. This is where Chetz comes in. Or what? what's his, yeah, Chetz. There we go. Mr. Lightning Bolt. He strikes. It doesn't strike out, that's for sure. He hits a home run on the first time because that's how he rolls. Four fingers equals Dalit. Four fingers equals Dalit. So, you know, you do the two things where your middle and your ring finger separate. So you have two on the left, two on the right. Those four fingers are the Dalit. Ten fingers equal the Yod and the hands form a sheen that's your shaddai so the three letters of shaddai says Rish, and he's like yep that's right says lightning bolt four fingers is really pairs of twos question mark actually eight total but joined to make four lightning bolt says two fingers is one set apart so the two are really one don't look at it as four look at it as one uh, then he said, yeah, join. That's cool. Okay. The blessings for the kids is said right before the famous three verses. Isn't another blessing from Jacob? Why are they put with the priestly blessing or am I wrong? It says, not sure. Need to look at the verse. Da, 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 da. They mix the blessings. Only the one on Shabbat includes the children. That's the priestly blessing that we say after blessing the children. To be continued.